Hey, Prime members, you can listen to The Vanished ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. Cersei at the time, there were some officials that really wasn't uh, up to par. So there wasn't quite really an investigation on it. It just kind of uh, was, yep, we know this and we're working on it, but truth be told, nothing was really being done about it. My theory is that these kids, you know, because they were kids, they had somebody who helped them, may have helped them dispose of Jared. And that's the part that actually, you know, really is the most terrifying because what if it was somebody who actually knew what they were doing? I mean, it's hard enough to find someone if they're just buried in random plot of land somewhere because you got to know where to look. All these people that didn't do their job deliberately, in my opinion, that swept stuff under the carpet, they don't matter. They're going to get what they have coming to them, but it still comes back to Jared was a 20-year-old kid who was murdered. He was lured back to town. Someone intended to harm him. Even if they didn't intend to kill him, they intended to punish him, make a, an example out of him. And they did. And they've gotten away with it for 28 years. That's what's sickening. And people know the answer. And I, I still believe there are enough people who are good who don't want to let these people win. And that's what they do. Their silence allows them to continue to win and be comfortable. And I don't want them to be comfortable anymore. They don't get to be. On September 30th, 1994, 20-year-old Jared Green disappeared from Searcy, Arkansas. Jared seemed to be in a panic and concerned about his safety. He was emotional on a call with his girlfriend, but wouldn't go into details. Jared also retrieved a gun from a friend. His family knew he was going to meet someone, and then he simply vanished. Jared's car turned up in Searcy at a store several days later, but it wasn't left in a way that Jared normally would have left it there. It was unlocked, the windows were down, and the keys were on the floor. It almost seemed like it was planted there. Today, we're going to explore the people who were in Jared's circle in the lead-up to his disappearance, and what role they may have played in what happened to him. I'm Marissa, and from Wondery, this is episode 370 of The Vanished, part two of Jared Green's story, Above the Law. Audible offers an incredible selection of audiobooks across every genre, from bestsellers and new releases to celebrity memoirs, mysteries, and thrillers, and more. And my favorite part is that members can choose one title a month to keep from their entire catalog. The Audible app makes it easy to listen anytime, anywhere, while traveling, working out, doing chores, you decide. I carve out a little bit of time each evening to listen while I'm cooking, and right now I'm listening to Lay Them to Rest by Laura Norton. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash MIA or text MIA to 500-500. That's audible.com slash MIA or text MIA to 500-500. Last week, we brought you the first installment of Jared Green's story, and we discussed the strange circumstances surrounding his disappearance and his spiral into the drug world that happened right before he vanished. 
Jared seemed to go from dabbling with drugs to being in way over his head in just a few months' time. His girlfriend Shannon told us that everything was great around the end of her senior year, that May when they went to prom together. But as the summer was coming to a close, Jared was changing. She could see it in his thin face, and he also stopped showing up all of the time when he said he would. But she didn't know everything. He kept a lot from her. She certainly didn't expect him to disappear forever. From the very beginning, there were certain names that kept being brought up. People who were allegedly involved in Jared's disappearance. When the Searcy police were finally willing to take a missing report on Jared on October 5th, his dad mentioned to them that 19-year-old Brandon Wheeler and 18-year-old Robert Webb had been supplying Jared with methamphetamine. The investigators' notes go on to say that they found that Wheeler and Webb had fronted Jared a large amount of meth and gave him a week to pay them back. At the time of his disappearance, Jared still owed them money. Jared's girlfriend at the time, Shannon, told us that she remembers Brandon Wheeler and Rob Webb from school, but there was always something about their presence that made her uneasy. I knew that he had dealings with Brandon and Rob, but I had asked not to be around them. I didn't like either one of them. It made me feel very uncomfortable, but I didn't know the depth. I just didn't understand it. I didn't know anything about it. I went to school with Brandon. We all did. Brandon was Jared's age. I can't remember if Brandon graduated high school. Jared graduated, but I don't remember if Brandon did. He was a very quiet person. He didn't have much of a personality. He just was really creepy. And I can't explain the vibe that he gave off. It was very uncomfortable. He he's kind of one of those people that he would just stare at you. You know, he not he may not say a word to you, but he, you know, will stare at you until the you know, it's just uncomfortable. I don't know, he's a very strange personality. I eventually asked Jared, I was like, if they're here, I don't wanna be here. I don't wanna be around around them ever. I didn't trust them. As far as I know, Jared didn't hang around with him very long. You know what I mean? They they didn't run the same circles either, really. So, I mean, Brandon was kind of one of those guys that, you know, he just stuck to himself. He didn't have just a whole lot of friends because he was just strange. Rob, now I only have one memory, really, of Rob in high school, and it was because he had gotten into a fight with a girl at school, and that is the only memory that I have from him in high school. They were very sinister. Brandon was extremely sinister, and I felt like Rob was maybe not as Sinister, like maybe he was more of a follower, but Brandon was definitely that leader personality, and he was very sinister. You know, they always say, you don't worry about a dog that barks. They say you worry about the one that doesn't bark. That's him. Jared's mom, Sharon, told us that Brandon was no stranger to their family. They had met him years earlier when Jared was in middle school. We met Brandon when they, when they were just boys. They were just in the eighth grade. Jared did not. As far as I knew, they had, you know, known each other for a little while and quit playing baseball together. They really didn't hang out together. But then when it got to, when he got into high school, then I don't know exactly when, but that's when, you know, they got back acquainted. And I don't know how all that went down either, because like I said, Jared would never tell us anything. That's why it was so difficult and why we couldn't seem to really do anything. We wanted him just to stay home until everything got straightened out because I was afraid for him to leave the house. 
But then uh, he told me that everything was okay. And then before you know it, he just disappeared. Jared's family didn't seem to know Brandon well and didn't really know of Rob Webb at all. There was a period of time that Jared had an apartment with a friend before moving back home. Jared's sister Shannon has a memory of going to the apartment to visit Jared and seeing Brandon and Rob and Jared acting in a strange manner. Rob, he wasn't from Cersei. He came in at some, I think maybe in the ninth grade or something like that. I think I only ever saw him one time, and that was across the parking lot. He had moved into an apartment. Brandon and Rob lived across the hall or something from them. But I remember, and it was it was not for very long. They got evicted from the, the apartment that they were moving into. And I remember going to see Jared after he moved out of our parents' house. I remember seeing them like from across the parking lot. Jared like did not want he didn't want me to get out of the car when I got went over there because I think I made like an un- unannounced visit. And Jared was out in the parking lot or something, and he was like, "Don't get out of the car. Don't come in. Don't come over here." At the time, I remember thinking, "Well, that's weird. You know that that that's not like Jared because you know Greg I've known since they were kids. Bo I knew." You know, I knew all those kids, but these guys, I did not know. And I just remember that weird interaction and and just the atmosphere was wrong with them. And I remember thinking it at the time, that wasn't right. But not knowing, even though we knew that Jared was, he was taking drugs. I don't think we knew at the time that he was doing anything else. Shannon also recalls a time after Jared had moved back to the family home. Shannon had left the house and returned sooner than expected. Jared was startled and feared that the person who had just come through the door was someone that was after him. I had come home from church one day and I had left the house. I was driving myself to church and I had run my hose and I was like, oh man. And so I ended up going back into the house to change out my pantyhose. And I ran in and when I ran into the house, Jared was standing at the top of our staircase with his back up against it and he had his gun in his hand and he was scared. And I remember thinking, what is going on? And he was like, just get out of the house. I thought you were somebody else because I had scared him because I had, you know, kind of squealed into the, into the driveway and just thrown the door open and rushed in the house because I was late. I remember thinking, this isn't real, but it was Jared in that position holding a gun and scared that I remember. So those are the things that I play over and over in my head. I think about it and I relive that. And I think, what what should I have done in that moment? What could I have done then? And then I get mad at Jared because I think, why didn't you why didn't you just leave? Because I asked him, I mean I very clearly remember in the wee hours of the morning being in his room and he and I were talking and he was crying upset and scared. And I was like, you know, please just let's move to Texas. Let's move to Dallas. I will work and you can just get clean and not worry about anything. And nobody will know where we are. We can leave, you know, we can leave tomorrow. We can leave in a couple of days. And he just cried and shook his head and wouldn't do it. Wouldn't say why he wouldn't go. He just wouldn't do it. And I regret so much that didn't try to force him into doing it. Because I think if only he had done it, if only he had trusted us enough that he was willing to let us help him. And then maybe trust isn't the right word, but maybe it's just, maybe he was trying to protect us because he knew what he was involved in and we didn't have any clue. 
those are the things that'll haunt me until the day I die. That's where the what ifs will kill you in this, because you can just think about all those those times when if if you had just tilted the action of fate or whatever in one direction, it could have changed the trajectory of everything. Everything in our lives would have been different. Jared would have been here. He probably would have been married to, we had hoped he was going to marry Shannon Huntsman. And, you know, they could have had kids. It could have been different for all of us. Brandon's friends, Greg and Bo, had more knowledge of what was really going on with Brandon, Rob, and Jared, since they had been involved with drugs at one point in time as well. Greg told us what he knew of Brandon. His dad was a truck driver who brought drugs in from the West Coast, and he would sell them for him. Kind of a shady character, never really cared much for being around him, but he was the dope man, I guess you would say. And him and Rob Webb, they were they lived together in Little Rock. They worked together in their little enterprise. Rob came out from California. I think he was a year younger than me. I didn't remember him a whole lot in school, but people tell me he went to school with us. They were always together. They had at least one house in Little Rock. I went to a time or two. Towards 94, Brandon Wheeler's dad was bringing it in on trucks. It was coming in by the kilo. I mean, just ridiculous amounts. It was coming in from the West Coast. When we would go up to Brandon Wheeler's house is where there it was a lot. There was a lot of drugs there. We were all involved. I mean, it wasn't just Jared. I mean, there was several people involved. He was the one bringing all the dope in. And that was the only guy that Jared was dealing with. And the fact that he was telling me that he wasn't, wasn't going to pay him right before he disappeared. For Bo, telling Jared's story means admitting to things that he did in the past, too. Things that can be embarrassing to admit today. But it's important to him to tell the truth for Jared. Bo says that from the very beginning, he and several of his friends cooperated fully with the police in order to try to get them to understand why they believed Brandon and Rob were responsible. It's kind of scary me bringing up my old past and the things I did, but it's I need people to understand. We were young, stupid kids. Everybody makes mistakes. If you don't learn from the mistakes, that's when it becomes an issue. Well, we made some serious mistakes. We learned some serious stuff. But then again, it sounds bad when you say, yeah, I, I lit a house on fire. But it is what it is. It's, I own it. I did it. And that's that. Main thing is just getting Jared home. Long overdue. And I believe it'll happen. I believe it really will. I believe we're really close. We were kids at the time. and We're telling them, the police, everything. You know, the dad, Brandon's dad, was bringing it in on the truck. They didn't do anything. Well, years down the road, they finally end up catching the dad, doing exactly what we told him, bringing the drugs in on the truck. And so it, it's frustrating, but it's time for this to get closed. I mean, that's, that's it. It's, it needs to be closure. From police records, we know that in the months before Jared disappeared, Brandon and Rob moved from the Searcy area to North Little Rock. They seemed to be living it up. They rented a home and hired a housekeeper to pick up after them. They also made significant renovations to the home that cost a lot of money. They had put thousands of dollars down on furniture at a local store. It appeared that they had a lot of cash for 18- and 19-year-old men. The housekeeper was interviewed and said that she had seen multiple weapons around the home. When they moved in, they had no clothes and just went out and purchased everything new. 
they would leave her cash to pay the bills. While cleaning in late September, she found a driver's license and social security card with the name Lance Wells. But the picture on the license was Rob Webb. A few days later, she noticed these items were gone. Also near the end of September, another young man began staying there. She knew him as Felix. She said that Felix patched several bullet holes in the walls of the home. She was shown a photo of Jared and said she did recognize him and knew him as Jared. She said she had seen him at the house on a few occasions. The housekeeper said the last time she heard from Brandon and Rob was on October 1st. Brandon called her and asked her to check on the pets. He told her he would be back in a week, but she never saw him again. A neighbor at the North Little Rock home was also interviewed. The neighbor knew Brandon, Rob, and this person she and the housekeeper knew as Felix. She said Brandon and Rob had offered to buy her $200 worth of new clothing. To her, they seemed to have a lot of money. She too had seen many weapons at the house, and she said she had not seen the two of them since early October. Their landlord told officers that the two had large amounts of cash in their possession and that they made significant improvements to the home, including $2,000 in repairs to the pool and a $2,200 satellite system. When the pair moved in, they claimed that they were law students at the University of Arkansas in Little Rock. They said that they were from California and their parents would be paying their rent and other bills. But the landlord was uncomfortable with the amount of cash that they had and over time became suspicious about their backstories. He demanded to know more and speak to their parents. On October 21, 1994, Robert Webb contacted the landlord and stated that they had moved out and were going back to California. It's clear from reading the police records and interviews that these two teenagers had a lot of money and guns, and they were also untruthful about their backgrounds. This lines up with what we had heard about their alleged involvement in drug trafficking. Greg had known about the debt Jared owed to Brandon and Rob. He immediately suspected that this is why Jared was missing. After he learned that Jared had disappeared, he drove out to the North Little Rock house himself to see if he could talk to them or if Jared was there with them. So I actually drove to Little Rock to see if he was there, like what was going on, and nobody would come to the door at their house. Honestly, I don't even think it's a rumor that Brandon Wheeler and Rob Webb were the the two responsible. That would actually line up with what he was telling me because I remember we had that conversation. I was like, Jared, that's probably not a good idea, you know, not paying him for ever how much it was. I mean, I don't know. It was probably at least an ounce. But he was just done with it. Supposedly, he tried to pay him back and they wouldn't take it. Like everything from that time period is just complete ignorance on all of our parts, but not to that level. I mean, the fact that you would you would kill someone over uh, yeah, As I know I talked to the Arkansas State Police, and I told them right then in 1994, yeah, Brandon Wheeler, it's a guy. You should really go talk to him. Like, I mean, I, I don't think that they ever even interviewed him until 20, 30 years later, whatever it is. I know other people that told him that, too. It wasn't just one person saying, this is your guy. Like, seriously, I think that maybe he thought he had something worked out with them. Or why else would he go meet him? Or they set up some sort of repayment, what have you, because apparently they weren't wanting him to repay him. Like, they were just mad or whatever. And like, no, you're not going to get out of this type of thing. But, yeah, I have to believe that they told him that it, they could work something out or he wouldn't have bothered. I mean, you don't leave the state 
and then come back and go meet him if nothing changes. Bo briefly mentioned a fire earlier in this episode. In an act of vigilante justice, or perhaps revenge, Bo went to the North Little Rock house and started a fire. This wasn't something that he told police from the start, but he eventually came clean about it while speaking with police years later. We were contemplating on the house that they lived in in Little Rock or renting. Everybody was like, this is not the house. And finally, I ended up telling the police, I said, okay, so I don't know what's about to happen to me, but I set that house on fire. I poured gasoline on it and lit it. And I said, that's not the house, because when it lit, I took off running and the driveway was such an incline, I slipped and fell. Lo and behold, the police were like, well, we have a fire report. That is the house. And I was like, holy cow, because I was telling them, I went in the back of probably 10, 15 different homes that night. And again, we were young and stupid, but it is what it is. And I was looking for my pot plant that Brandon and Rob stole from me. It was about a foot and a half high. And that's how I found the house because it was late at night. I had a friend drive me up there. I'd been drinking and probably smoking. And so I found the pot plant. And then that's when when I, I knew for sure it was their house, poured the gasoline on it and lit it. Crazy as that sounds is that for sure identifies that house 100% because they found the, the arson report. And in that arson report, it still, it had, uh, they found a pot plant on the back deck. So it was, we were kind of nice to know. I know it sounds crazy because it's been 30 years and the house didn't look the same, but without a doubt, it is the house. But it, and it's crazy how all of it works out and the things like I never in a million years, I think we'd be telling the police everything that we've, that we know. I mean, which we did at the time, we just left details like burning the house and, you know, all the chaotic and the dad had in Cersei, they we spray painted drug dealer on the dad's house. It, it was just it was a big mess because this is in, like I told the police officer how stupid we were. Is still dealt with Rob and Brandon after the fact, down to the point where and I've told them it's in the report that my last time that I seen Brandon and Rob, I went to Little Rock to meet them and was going to get a ounce of meth. Gave them, I believe it was three, three or four thousand dollars, and they said they'd be right back. Two, three hours later, nobody shows. So I head back from McCain Mall where I was sitting at the parking lot. Well, finally got them to answer the phone. Basically, what they told me was they were going to keep the money for Jared's debt, apply it towards Jared's debt, and that was the last that we talked. So, and I've told the police that and which they say that's that's the only, I guess, the only time they've anything's been said that we're going to apply it towards Jared's debt. And that was the last I actually seen of Brandon and Rob. You know, what's frustrating is we as kids, 18, 19-year-olds, we're still kids. We told all the police, Cersei police, everything that we've said, no story has changed, nothing has changed. And then later on, they arrested Dad finally for doing what we told them they were doing. Brandon's Wheeler's dad tried to be, you know, act like a Billy badass, very mean, aggressive. They had a lot of us scared. When officers responded to the fire, they found items in the home that linked Brandon and Rob to narcotics trafficking, including notes, phone bills, and fake IDs. 
The investigator from Little Rock expressed interest in working with narcotics officers in Searcy to compare notes and work on compiling information for a case on these two individuals. It seemed as though the evidence was mounting against them. Even if they didn't have enough evidence to prove they harmed Jared, their alleged involvement in the drug trade appeared to be becoming crystal clear. However, they were never charged with any drug offenses. One frustration that Jared's sister had was while everyone was pointing to these two individuals and seeing Brandon and Rob around Cersei, the police never managed to catch up to them and speak with them. So the investigators, at multiple times, they located the house where Brandon and Rob were living in, in Little Rock. My dad gave them the address for where they were living. I mean, he was in Cersei for a long time after Jared disappeared. A long time. Many years he still lived there or in that area. So the fact that the cops claimed they could never get a hold of him was just like, what are you talking about? He just drove by. I mean, there's actually in this report, you'll hear that I told my dad that Shannon and I were driving somewhere. We we're on the highway, I guess, going to Little Rock. And we saw Brandon and Rob. And Rob's, he had a Highlander pass us on the other side of the highway. We called my dad. My dad called the police. And of course, you know, oh, we couldn't find him. We don't know where he's going, what he's doing. Like, you've got his address. Go there. Not one time will you see, even though their names are mentioned multiple times, not one time in this report were Brandon and Rob ever talked to by the police. Not once. And we were told over and over again, oh, we can't find them. They're on the run. They've left the state. We don't know where they are. I'm like, um, that's not true. We, could, we saw them in Cersei. We saw the one report that Shannon mentioned. When her father called the police and said that Shannon had seen Brandon and Rob on the interstate heading into Searcy, an investigator was contacted who was working on an undercover investigation involving Brandon and Rob and said he would notify the other officer if contact was made. Unfortunately, it states that no contact with Brandon and Rob was ever made. While speaking with Bo, he mentioned something that we thought was an interesting tidbit of information. I guess somebody called the police department and said they were Jared's dad. They didn't want them investigating, that they were going to do the investigating. No, no, that's true. We asked Shannon if she knew more about this call to the police, someone pretending to be her father. She didn't even know about this phone call until much, much later. She told us about this strange call and another similar one that was made to Jared's girlfriend. So one of the things that we didn't know about or I didn't know about until, you know, some additional information came to light was that someone called the police and left a message for the investigator at the time, who was at the time was Sergeant Tim Webb, left a message for him claiming to be my father and asking them not to move the investigation forward, that my dad was going to look for him on his own, which was a crock. And what is shocking to me about that is, number one, someone had the gall to do that. But in the information that I have heard, Jared's girlfriend at the time, she got a call the day before from some unknown person, wasn't Jared, but telling her that Jared was okay. Those dates are recorded a day apart. The fact that someone went to the trouble of contacting Shannon, contacting the police and claiming that shows that they know that Jared's not coming home. They were trying to discourage an investigation. So that's one thing that points to the fact that somebody was deliberately trying to keep the investigation off track by making this call. 
It seems as though someone in the background was pulling strings so that the investigation would go the way they wanted it to. After learning about this, Shannon couldn't help but wonder if it was the same person who had phoned Jared and got him to come back to Cersei by telling him that everything was okay, prompting him to return. The other thing is, you know, Jared had left home. He was scared. He was scared of Brandon Wheeler. He was scared of all the people that were involved in the drug trade at the time. He told us that he needed to get out of town, and so we helped him get out of town. He wasn't gone, I think maybe two weeks, and he got a phone call from someone, told Jared, oh, you're fine. Everything's okay. Brandon and Rob aren't upset. Oh, it's fine. You can come back home. So when Jared came home, he came home and we didn't know he was coming home. We were shocked and he was like, oh, everything's fine. And we were so relieved because we're so stupid. We were so relieved by it. We're so glad to have him home. We didn't think anything about it. So he was lured back home. Somebody wanted him to pay bad enough that they lied to him, got him to come home. And then once he was home and they had killed him, tried to derail the investigation. And to me, that is just one of the things that is wrong with this picture. If this were any other kind of case today, people would look at this information and go, this is not right. You know, I want people to understand that this is not just Jared disappeared. He was murdered and he was lured back to Cersei so somebody could do it. And that makes this a different case in my mind. That shows malice, right? Malice of forethought. There was no accident here. This was planned. Someone wanted to do this to Jared. There was an interview with another friend of Jared's in the police records we reviewed. This friend stated that Jared had come to him earlier on the day of his disappearance and said that he would be going to Little Rock, but would be back. Jared told him that he owed Brandon and Rob money. They had threatened him, but he talked to them again, and they said it was okay, not to worry. Jared told this friend that he would write everything down and give it to him, just in case something happened to him. Someone would have that information. Unfortunately, something did happen to Jared, before he was able to get that information to his friend. Our skin has a huge effect on our confidence. If you have acne or noticing signs of aging, it can be frustrating to waste time and money on products that aren't formulated for you. That's why I recommend Curology. Curology makes personalized prescription skincare products. Curology's personalized prescriptions are formulated to treat your individual skin needs. They use a combination of three clinically researched ingredients, making it more effective than non-prescription cleansers and moisturizers alone. I tried it out myself and it's easy, and I can't wait to get my first box. Just fill out a quiz about your skin, share photos, and a provider will prescribe a personalized formula based on your skin's unique needs. For a limited time, you can get your first Curology skincare box for just $5 when you go to Curology.com slash Vanished. Go to Curology.com slash Vanished for this free offer. That's Curology, C-U-R-O-L-O-G-Y dot com slash Vanished. Trial is 30 days. Applies to your first box. Subject to consultation. New subscribers only. Let me guess, your medicine cabinet is crammed with stuff that doesn't work. You still aren't sleeping. You still hurt, and you're stressed out. That's how it was for me. So I cleared out my cabinet, and I'm excited to reset my health with CBD from CB Distillery. 
CB Distillery's targeted formulations are made from the highest quality clean ingredients. No fluff, no fillers, just pure, effective CBD solutions designed to help support your health. In two non-clinical surveys, 81% of customers experienced more calm. 80% said CBD helped with pain after physical activity. And an impressive 90% said they slept better with CBD. If you struggle with a health concern and haven't found relief, make the change to CB Distillery. And with over 2 million customers and a solid 100% money-back guarantee, CB Distillery is the source to trust. I have a 20% discount to get you started. Visit cbdistillery.com and use code VANISHED for 20% off. That's cbdistillery.com code VANISHED. cbdistillery.com In a shocking twist of events, Robert Webb disappeared from Circe just months after Jared had mysteriously vanished. Greg told us what he knows about Rob's disappearance. Brandon's partner in crime, the same thing happens with him. I mean, I know that's circumstantial and whatnot, but I don't think it's a coincidence that Rob went missing either. I'm pretty sure that's all tied together. It's just a matter of proving it. I would like to know what happened to Rob as well, but I'm I'm 99% sure I know what happened to him. All I know about him is he came from California. I think he came from Oakland, but I'm not 100% sure about that. He was in our school for a little bit before he dropped out. He was always with Brandon. They worked together. They were always in their Pathfinder together. Apparently, they lived together. Well, they did live together, not apparently. And... I don't know much about him, how he ended up in Cersei. And then I know he disappeared not long after Jared. But as far as talking to him and whatnot, he was a quiet person. He wouldn't say much. It was always Brandon doing the talking. If Brandon is responsible, then Rob would have been right there with him. So he went missing July 4th, 1995. And Jared went missing since 94, September 30th. So about nine months after Jared, this guy goes missing. And he, he was Starsky and Hutch with Brandon, you know, their partners. I mean, they were both together constantly. Those two were intertwined. I mean, it would be a huge coincidence if his disappearance had nothing to do with Jared. I mean, I guess it could, like maybe they had a falling out over money or something. But, I mean, you're talking about less than a year. Like, there were stories of them putting a gun in one of our friend's mouths and They're definitely unsavory characters, I guess you would say. It's rare to see something like this happen. Two young men who were in the same circle, disappearing under similar circumstances just about 10 months apart. Bo explained to us that he didn't think this was a coincidence. Rob is the other individual that is missing, but it's just like I've told the police. I mean, you've got a dad, a son, and what I call Rob, the outsider. Well, you do something as big as this, who are you going to trust? Your blood or somebody you've only known for a couple years when shit gets tough, you know? So my thinking is they took Rob out as well. Again, just my opinion, but it makes perfectly good sense to do that because then they don't have to worry about getting ratted on. I didn't even know Rob had went missing until after I got back from the military in 2000 and seen that he was missing because it was his picture and Jared's picture in the newspaper together. And I was like, what? And even at that point, like I said, that was 2000, 22 years ago. 
they find Jared, they'll find Rob. That's what I believe. What happened to Robert Webb is just another twist in this mysterious case. Shannon contacted his family to see if they could work together to try to find both of them, but they didn't seem interested. If you scour the internet, you won't find much about Robert's case. Namus states that he was last seen by his mother on July 4th, 1995. One interesting thing about Rob Webb is that he went by a bunch of aliases, which seems strange for someone as young as 18 years old. While many people assume that Rob and Jared were both murdered, we know that the housekeeper reported seeing an ID and social security card for Rob with an alias on it. Could he be out there somewhere alive, living under a new identity? Shannon told us what she knows. Rob Webb went by several aliases. I think Lance was one of his names that he went by. The housekeeper that worked for him and Rob that in the house that they had in Little Rock, she claimed that she saw she's also, we're, we're trying to track her down. We think she's passed away. I've got a list of his aliases. So Rob Webb's aliases were Robert Wells, Lance Wells, Lance Howell, Robert Howell, and Robert Lee Weber Jr. And Rob Webb went missing 10 months after Jared did. He was best friends with Brandon. Everybody in the city knows who he is. And his family, they reported him missing, but they will not. I have repeatedly appealed to his family on the Facebook page. I know he had something to do with Jared's death. I know he did. But I would still help them try to find Rob's remains because I know that Rob went missing because of Jared, like because of what he did to Jared. Even if you want to give Brandon the benefit of the doubt and say, what well, was probably his dad who was bringing, who was trucking the drugs in, who went to prison for that offense. And it was his connections that killed Jared. Even if you want to give him that much of the benefit of the doubt, Rob Webb was still involved. There are numerous witnesses who have come forward, numerous, even in the documentation that I have seen the theory that we bounce around is that, he, that Rob was running his mouth. He's got family in California. They're going to make their own choices, but they won't talk to the police. They won't have anything to do with us. He didn't know I've made an appeal to try to get them to do that, you know, to join forces with us. That list of those aliases I gave you, the housekeeper saw those fake IDs in his house. That's how we know. And the police actually had them. He could easily, and maybe that's why Grace Cooperwood is so reluctant, because she has said to the police, well, what if my brother is still out there? You know, he, he went missing in the same circumstances. His car was found at a grocery store a few days later after he went missing. Brandon was like sort of dating his sister. And the day he went missing was the last day that she ever talked to that guy. Brandon has no idea what happened to him, and he just cuts off all ties with his family. That makes no sense. Even if you're trying to hide something, right, you would, you would at least make it look good. Oh, I'm so sorry about your, you know, your loss. I can't imagine what could have happened to him. And then you, you fade out. You don't just cut off ties. If, he, if he's not dead, if he is hiding, he went to a lot of trouble to make it look like his disappearance was the same as Jared's because, well, it's a copycat or he's trying to point the finger at somebody. Right. He wants somebody to look over here and say, this is the person. This is why I'm leaving. But according to his sister, you know, she's had no contact with him, although she does claim to know what happened to Jared. But she always would dangle that carrot over the police and would never share any information. She has said 
well, what if I did know something? Would I need a lawyer? Would I get in trouble? What if my brother's out there somewhere? Um, I don't want him to get arrested for this. I don't want him to go to jail for this. Remember earlier, we mentioned that Brandon and Rob's housekeeper and neighbor both remember another young man living at their North Little Rock residence for a period of time. They knew him as Felix. Well, his name wasn't really Felix, and he's someone else that we need to discuss in this case. His name was actually Baron Stafford, and he was just 16 years old at the time of Jared's disappearance. Investigators were able to obtain phone records from the North Little Rock house and the Stafford home in Searcy. Those records showed calls between the two houses around the time that Jared went missing. Calls from the Stafford home in Searcy to the North Little Rock house ended on October 4, 1994. The next day, Brandon and Rob began getting calls from Nashville, placed with a credit card. Calls were also being made from the Nashville number to the Stafford home in Searcy. Investigators began trying to find Baron Stafford to see what he may know about Jared and why he left town so quickly after Jared went missing. In November of 1994, the investigator on Jared's case had an officer who was friendly with the Stafford family call and inquire about Barron. He was informed that Barron had left town with his mother and would not be returning to Searcy. They refused to give up Barron's location. The Searcy Police Department reached out to law enforcement in Nashville and asked them to help verify his location, but they didn't want them to tip him off that the Searcy police were looking for him. They did find Barron, and an investigator in Searcy said he would try to get permission to travel to Nashville. He wanted to interview Barron in person. We didn't see any notes in the records that we were able to review that detail any trips to Nashville or interviews with Barron. However, the local police in Nashville did stake out the home that Barron was believed to have been staying at. It seemed like there were more efforts put forth to find Barron than Brandon and Rob. Investigators didn't know it at the time, but their window to interview Barron Stafford would be closing sooner than expected. Here's Greg. Barron Stafford actually killed himself, and most people think that he he knew what happened to Jared. He was friends with Jared after I'd gone to Jonesboro. I didn't really know Barron. I know that rumor has it, I can't say I know anything, this is what I've heard, that he confessed to his preacher, which is like his uncle or something, and then killed himself. Rob was bragging, and then he turns up missing. And Barron was saying that he knew about, I guess, both of them, and ended up killing himself. Shannon feels as though Barron is a key piece of this puzzle. She thinks he must have known something about what happened to her brother. He was so young at the time, and was under the influence of Brandon and Rob. The fact that his family removed him from Cersei so soon after Jared disappeared is a red flag to Shannon. After Jared disappeared, his mom moved him out of the state. They went after Barron. Like they, he went to Nashville. They contacted the Nashville police and had the Nashville police basically stake him out, but never approach or talk to him. Now, why? But they never once went after, this is a 16-year-old kid, but they never went after Brandon and Rob. Never once. There were times when witnesses like Baron Stafford, for example, who was, he was only 16 when Jared went missing and he killed himself. And because the investigator, at, you know, at the time put in a request to, to go interview Baron 
and was denied and just said, no, just call somebody out there and they'll interview. They can interview him. They're like, what? You know, you don't know the case. You don't know what questions to ask. We need to ask this question. But his mom took him out of the state, took him to Nashville, didn't tell anybody, like wouldn't, didn't tell him where he was going because she was trying to get him away from Brandon and Rob because Barron had told her something. Now she died and she would not say a word. She would not talk to my mom. We asked her. I tried to talk to her after Jared disappeared. I tried to talk to Barron. They were all gone. One interesting piece of information that we noticed in court documents about Barron's alleged confession before his death was this. On December 31st, 2000, another close friend and roommate of Brandon Wheeler, who was also good friends with Jared Green during the time of Jared Green's disappearance, committed suicide. Prior to committing suicide, this subject gave disclosure of two separate murders to his cousin, who was also his pastor. If one murder was Jared, you have to wonder who the other one was. Keep Barron in mind as we move through this story, because we'll come back to him and his family's property later on in this episode. There's been some speculation in this case about the involvement that some local officials may have had with the drug trade at the time Jared went missing. Did Jared's case go unsolved because in order to solve it, it would have exposed what was going on in Searcy? Jared and his girlfriend Shannon spent a lot of time together, and she witnessed some weird interactions with the police that were never fully explained. I can remember Jared would let me borrow his car and stuff a lot because I didn't have a car and he would go to work and he would leave me his car. I had gone to pick him up at work and we were on our way back to my house. And I remember we were right in the middle of a road. I mean, it was kind of a busy road, two lane highway. And I remember he starts to pull over, like he kind of pulls off into the ditch. And I'm like, you know, I'm looking around like, wait, what are we doing? And I look behind us and there's a police officer. No lights, no signs, nothing. Jared doesn't say a word. Okay. He gets out of the car and he goes and he talks to this police officer. Okay. And I'm like, what we are, we're not even pulled over into a parking lot or into a safe place. It was so weird. And he comes back to the car and he gets in and I was like, you know, what was that? And I said, you know, did you get a ticket? And he was like, no, no, it's nothing. He's like, just don't worry about it. You know, and I remember thinking that's not normal, but I, I didn't know at the time. I had no idea. I just remember thinking, uh, that's so not normal. I don't want to know what just happened there, you know, but I just kind of dismissed it. And so we went on home and I never thought about it again. Well, then one night we were parking at a water slide and it was abandoned water slide. Nobody, you know, it wasn't open anymore. Four people in a vehicle. We didn't know it at the time, but somebody, they start messing with us. So Jared's pulling out of this long road and it's nighttime. He gets out of the car and he confronts these people like, you know, what are you doing? Well, they start fighting. I'm bewildered. Like, I don't even know what's going on. I'm not sure if someone called the cops or what was going on. We didn't have cell phones really back then. But this cop comes, and I remember nothing was really said except he walks up, and he says, well, hello, Mr. Green. And I remember thinking, how do you know his name? The cop was not behind. We have rare plays. And so I remember thinking yet again, "Um, he doesn't know my name. (laughs) You know, like, how does he know yours? And I just remember thinking, hmm, that's very strange. Jared didn't report the incident and say, hey, this is Jared Green. You know, I need to report these people. 
I don't even know who called the cops or, or what. I really, to this day, don't know why those people followed us. You know, I don't know where they came from. I don't know what they were doing, which I went to school with two of the girls. And I had asked them Monday, what are you doing? And she didn't even really give an answer. But the most odd thing about it was that that police officer knew Jared. Were the police turning a blind eye to the drug dealing going on in Searcy? Were they playing an active role in it? Or perhaps they were attempting to combat it? Could Jared have been a confidential informant? We don't know the answers to these questions, but Shannon has another memory of a strange occurrence with Jared. I do remember one time, it could have been after I graduated, because I think Jared was working at Walmart Distribution, and he had come over one night, and he said, I think I'm going to get indicted. You know, and I didn't even know what indicted meant. And I know that sounds stupid, but I didn't have any family that was ever, nobody got arrested, nobody went to prison. I just didn't understand all of that terminology. And I was like, what are you talking about? And he was like, I think I'm going to get indicted. He was like, I you know, want to fake my own death. I said, why are you talking like that? I was like, you're crazy. Stop talking like that. Stop saying stuff like that. There again, I look back now and I think, what I, I mean, why would he say that? Why would he say that he was going to get indicted? And I wish I would have had the knowledge that I have now or even shortly after. All of these people are coming to me and they're saying this. I'm hearing everything and it's overwhelming, you know, but then you start being able to put all of these pieces together. But I mean, still not quite being able to, but they they start to make more sense. Like the police officer pulling us over in the road and him saying he was going to get indicted. You know, it all makes sense that I still have all of these scenarios that play in my mind. Shannon was interviewed by the police after Jared vanished, and she explained that she was always uncomfortable when she went down to the station. That same police officer that walked up to Jared that night and said, hello, Mr. Green, it was like he made himself known almost every single time that I've interviewed at the Cersei Police Department. And it was that same police officer. And I always felt like he was trying to intimidate. It sounds crazy, you know, to think that the law would be involved or the law knew what was going on. It sounds crazy, but there have been so many things with Jared's case. That old system, it was corrupt. It was extremely corrupt. I remember the very first time that I went to interview, they had called me to the Cersei Police Department. And I remember, there again, I was very naive and I was going in there, you know, I was going to tell him, this has got to be Brandon. And I was going to tell him and I walk in there into that door and I check in and there's a long hallway and it's kind of shaped, it's like an L shape. So you go down one, the long stem and then you, you got to turn right. And I promise you, if there wasn't an officer in every single one of the doors of those offices standing there looking at me, mind you, I'm 18 years old. I have not lived a lot of life. I just don't have that much experience with, you know, a whole lot of things. But I remember thinking that these people, you know, and I can't, I can't even remember who interviewed me. I remember his face and I remember them telling me that they couldn't find Brandon. I left there thinking they are trying to see, they want to know more what I know rather than what about what happened to Jared. It was like they wanted to see where I stood. They wanted to know what I knew Jared was involved in. But I just felt like like they were trying to intimidate me from not saying. It was very odd, very strange. I, I still to this day, and I would have not ever 
thought that law enforcement would ever be involved. Shipping can make or break a sale. As your business grows, ShipStation can help optimize how you ship your orders so you can stay competitive while you scale up. With ShipStation, you can easily automate shipping tasks and manage orders in one simple dashboard. Manage orders, print labels, compare rates, optimize every shipment, and automate delivery notifications. ShipStation is the most affordable way to ship everything you sell online. They offer industry-leading discounted rates from USPS, UPS, DHL, and Global Post, with discounts up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. Over 130,000 companies have grown their e-commerce business with ShipStation. I tried out ShipStation, and I loved how easy it was to use. I was able to set it up quickly, and I was thrilled to see how much I saved on my first shipment. Optimize and keep your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Use promo code VANISH today at ShipStation.com to sign up for your free 60-day trial. That's ShipStation.com, promo code VANISHED. Shannon and her family had been frustrated with the lack of investigation into Jared's case for so long. But several years ago, newer investigators took the case on and actually started to work it. Shannon was shocked when they called her out of the blue one day. Jared's case has never, we've never gotten any traction until it took all of those or most of those people that were in charge, either moving on, retiring, dying, and really us not knowing what to do to help to bring justice for him. And it really wasn't until 2017 or 20, I guess it was late 2016 when we got a call out of the blue from the police in Cersei. I mean, they, they never contacted us. My parents lived in, in Cersei for 17 years, you know, for years they lived there after Jared disappeared with nobody, nobody contacting them, nobody reaching out, nobody giving updates about it. And we would ask and they would just say, well, it's open. We talked to people, you know, that kind of thing. There was never, there was no urgency in it. It was an adversarial relationship until it was Mark Kidder. That was the name of the detective. Mark and Adam Sexton took over the case. And they called us. They called me. I mean, I saw the Cersei number come up on my phone. And I'm like, well, I know what this has got to be about, Jared, because nobody's calling me else from Cersei. And they were like, hey, we're looking for your mother. And I'm like, what are you talking about? That made me sick to my stomach. They're like, well, we're at her house in Sherwood and we can't get a hold of her. I'm like, what do you mean? They're like, oh, we're, we just came up to see her. And I was like, well, okay. So I call and, and get her and tell her you know, that they're coming to see her. And they're like, yeah, we have some information about your brother's case. We really want you to to tell you guys in person and, and all this. And I'm like, what the heck has happened? You know, we're like, have they found him? What's going on? And essentially, you know, they hadn't found his remains, but they had enough evidence at the time they thought to make the arrest. You know, that was kind of our introduction our, to Adam and Mark, and we didn't even know they were investigating. Greg, too, was surprised when he got a call from the new investigators on the case, and they actually seemed interested in hearing what he had to say. He told us it was like a breath of fresh air. Yeah, I mean, I was in California at that time. I got a phone call one day saying they were reopening the investigation. I don't know if somebody told him that we were friends or if they actually took my statement in 1994 and kept it. 
I mean, I, I don't know. I didn't feel like they did anything. They called me and asked me if I would mind writing a statement. I was like, yeah, I'll tell you whatever you want to know. I mean, I haven't been hiding anything from anyone since then. I mean, to me, like, no matter how stupid or bad things I did, it doesn't matter when it comes to somebody being missing for since 1994. One puzzling revelation that came out once this case was looked at again more recently was that Jared's gun had been found in 2006. The family hadn't been told at the time, and this was a complete shock. There's a series of events like this, right? There's all the mess that surrounded Jared's initial disappearance and the cluster of the investigation that happened. I mean, things like we found out in 2016, they told us that the gun, like I told you, Jared had two guns maybe with him or one. One of his guns was found in Oregon, and nobody told us. That gun showed up in Oregon in 2006. So they've never given us the gun back. It was registered to my dad. It belonged to him. And we don't have that gun. We don't have, they didn't give it back to us. But these two guys that they arrested with the weapon, they are in Oregon, but they have Arkansas-issued social security numbers, both of them. How are these people connected? Learning that the gun was found in Oregon only added to the mystery. In the police report from the Portland Police Bureau, the people who had it claimed they simply found it. The arresting officer pressed them, saying you don't just find guns on the street like that. But they never gave further information as to how they ended up with the gun, a gun that belonged to a man who disappeared 12 years earlier. Just as the Greens hadn't heard about Jared's gun being found, they also hadn't heard about other evidence, evidence that helped lead to a breakthrough in the case, an alleged confession by Baron Stafford. Baron Stafford? That kid who was 16 that killed himself, he confessed to his uncle, told his uncle that he had killed Jared, essentially. And his uncle, after Barron killed himself, came forward to the police in Searcy and said, hey, he wrote a letter to him saying, hey, here's what my nephew said. You might need to know this. Here's where the body is located. And that's why they were searching on the land they were looking on. And Nobody told us about that interview or that letter. And so that was like in, uh, so Barron died. So that would have been 2000. That kind of stuff is the stuff we did not get from the old guard. After investigators reopened the case in 2016, they searched a property that was owned by the family of Barron Stafford. Remember, he was the younger teenager who was hanging around Brandon and Rob in the lead up to Jared's disappearance and was quickly moved out of state by his family in the aftermath. Bo explained what he was told about the search. Where the dogs, I guess, two different dogs, went to on this, with the Stafford's land, two separate occasions and didn't find anything. But I would take the kids, this is after Jared was hunting, and I was after the military and got my life together pretty much. But I would take the kids out there and we would deer hunt. So when I found out that they were digging out there at that farm, it it was a a sickening feeling knowing that I've probably been out there where he is. But it's just, like I said, and everybody says, it's, it's, we're ready for closure. Enough's enough. I mean, they know they just, we just got to find the body or some type of remains. And they've got enough information and it, it all goes back to what we said. The land, the Stafford's out there where this all came up, Baron Stafford, 
before he committed suicide, he I guess he admitted to a couple things what ultimately got Brandon arrested in 2017. Well, that Stafford, that his property, which is mom and dad's property, and was that 300 and something acres. Well, as soon as all this took place, the parents had the land locked up for a lifetime, 99 years. Nobody can build, do anything on it, can't sell it. And they shipped him off Baron Stafford. And then ultimately, after Baron come clean with whatever he knew about the Jared Green incident, he killed himself on the side of the highway. And that's in turn what brought everything back to life. But that land out there, you know, it's you don't do that unless you're hiding something because there's grandkids and they've always talked about building out there and living out there and they can't. I mean, all they can do on that land is hunt. And this is the land where two different dogs went at two different times to the same spot where there was a body buried, but it had been moved. He was one of those dudes, mom and daddy had money. He wanted to fit in so bad so you could talk him into doing whatever. His parents had money, and I'm assuming that he probably come clean with his parents what it took place, and that's why all the land was since then locked down, and he was shipped off to get out of there. His parents were trying to protect him, probably what most parents would do. You know, I get that. But also, you got to look on the other side of the spectrum. You've got Jared Green parents that are wondering where their baby's at. Like I said, enough's enough. It's People know it's just they've got to come out and talk about it now. We know from court records that a cadaver dog was brought out to the property in December of 2016, and the dog hit on an area near an old deer stand. The deer stand was an area that a confidential informant had told the police about, an area where they said that Jared had been buried. Several days later, two other dogs were brought out to the same property and indicated in the same area. They continued searching the property, even draining a pond, but they found no trace of Jared. Investigators were building a case against Brandon Wheeler. They found an interview from September of 1995, nearly a year after Jared had vanished. An informant named Charles Langley told an investigator that Brandon Wheeler and Jason Webb came to his house to sell some methamphetamine. We can assume that the name Jason Webb was either a mistake or an alias that Rob Webb was going by. Langley claimed that they asked him if he wanted to help get rid of Jared Green because he owed them money, and they wanted to get rid of him. Langley went on to say that they came back to his place in December and said that Jared was no longer a problem. He had been taken out of the picture, and that they had grabbed him at a Walmart and took care of him. Langley was interviewed again in 2000, and he said the following, I knew the reason for Detective Perry coming, and it was about Jared Green, the boy that came up missing in 1994. He asked me if I could tell him about people I was dealing with around that time, and why I said that I could shed some light on Jared being missing. I told Detective Perry that I was on my way to prison at the time that I made the statement, and most of what I told him was stuff that was being spread around the drug community. I explained that I didn't even know the guys, meaning Brandon Wheeler and Robert Webb, at the time that Jared came up missing. I had my first dealings with Wheeler and Webb, either in late 1994 or early 1995. The two were carrying guns. The statement that I made in 1995 was an attempt to shorten my stay, or possibly even keep me from going to prison, but most of which was a lie. After reopening the case in 2016, investigators went to speak with Langley again, 
This time, he again recanted his 1995 statement. Langley also submitted to a computerized voice stress analysis. An investigative note state that Arkansas State Police SSA Clark determined Langley to be telling the truth, though he cited slight deception on one question. Are you withholding information from law enforcement? It's difficult to know if the informant Langley was telling the truth back in 1995, or if he was just trying to trade information for a lighter sentence. Greg told us that Langley wasn't someone he knew to hang out in their circles. He was the one who later recanted that he was in jail, and that's what hurt the case. I don't know him. I've never met him, honestly. I've never even heard of him. The only one guy. The probable cause affidavit that was submitted to the court to request an arrest warrant for Brandon Wheeler compiled much of the information that we've already discussed, including what Jared's father had told the police about Jared leaving home to meet Brandon Wheeler and how his car was found at Walmart. Witnesses who were interviewed agreed that there was a conflict between Brandon Wheeler and Jared Green, which concerned a debt owed to Wheeler by Green. The affidavit listed the information about Langley's original statement to police from 1995, but not the other two when he recanted. The affidavit went on to discuss Jared leaving town and returning a week or two before his disappearance, after he received a call saying everything was okay. The next witness mentioned is Jared's girlfriend, who detailed her call with Jared on the night he disappeared. The next listed witness is Greg, and they included his statement about Jared coming by about a week or two before he went missing. And during their conversation, Jared said that Brandon Wheeler had fronted him some drugs. And Jared told Greg that he didn't have any intention of paying Brandon Wheeler back because he had been ripped off by Brandon many times before. It goes on to say that approximately 10 months later, after the disappearance of Jared Green, Brandon Wheeler's roommate and best friend was reported as a missing person by his mother. An investigator reported during this time that Robert Webb was bragging about his part in the disappearance of Jared Green just before he went missing. The next witness discussed is Baron Stafford and his alleged confession. And finally, it says that on December 19, 2016, a search warrant was signed by a judge for property of interest in connection with the case in rural White County, Arkansas. The uninhabited property was searched due to evidence found confirming information obtained from various sources. This information indicated Jared Green's body was disposed of at this location. Certified cadaver dogs were used successfully in locating the evidence. An arrest warrant for Brandon Wheeler was issued. In March of 2017, Brandon Wheeler was arrested and charged with capital murder and abuse of a corpse nearly 23 years after Jared Green had mysteriously vanished from Searcy. In that moment, Jared's loved ones felt a sense of relief. They had been waiting for this moment for so long. Unfortunately, justice wasn't in the cards. Charges were later dropped. However, they can be refiled in the future if more evidence is found. They didn't feel as though they had a strong enough case against Brandon Wheeler. Greg told us that he believes they were confident that they would find Jared on the Stafford property, and when that fell through, their whole case fell apart. He didn't get convicted. They dropped the charges. So, I mean, they can bring it back, but I think for some reason they they thought they were going to find Jared, and then it didn't happen, and they they didn't feel like they were going to win this one. Shannon told us that she was frustrated with how things unfolded after Brandon's arrest. 
the, the prosecutor took the death penalty off the table. They didn't have that for leverage at all. We were told by the police that, that she had already remo- taken that off. And that was to get him to talk, right? But they wanted to give him immunity if he would tell where Jared's body was. Immunity for the murder. I honestly don't think that the prosecutor or the judge really thought that this was going to actually happen, given what happened after the case. Because we were in the preliminary hearings and the judge threw out the video of when, after he was arrested, when the cops were talking to him. So at the initial interviews, the judge threw out after his arrest. Brandon Wheeler later filed suit against the city and several detectives for violating his rights because the probable cause affidavit had what his attorney described as two glaring omissions. It left out that Langley recanted his 1995 statement and that cadaver dogs did not uncover human remains or evidence connected to Jarrett. Brandon Wheeler's lawsuit was settled out of court. Despite these setbacks, Shannon told us that she's confident in the detectives handling the case today and believes that her brother's case is in good hands. Jared's case seems to have stalled out after what seemed to be promising developments in 2017. As with any older case, many people who were around at that time are no longer here to come forward with what they know. Shannon is hopeful that there are still people within the community that can help. For us, our problem is that we're, we're down to one. Brandon is the, there were three people, Rob Webb, Brandon, and Barron. Barron killed himself. Rob Webb went missing 10 months after Jared in exact same circumstances. He was also, you know, working with Brandon. And then there's two other cold cases in Searcy of people related, like at least loosely related to this case through the people that they, like the drug practice. There's two, maybe three in Searcy in the same time frame that also disappeared. And so that's my kind of charter right now is I'm trying to get those other families to join forces. Because if we can compare notes, if we can, if there's like common suspects or common people connected, we might be able to uncover more. Because for us, Brandon Wheeler's dad is dead. He went to jail. He had cancer. He died. He's, he's out of the picture. Brandon Wheeler's uncle, also dead, um, went to jail. He died. The mom, Brandon's mom, is absolutely not talking, right? Barron's mom died. She, she knew something died. Barron's wife OD'd in the parking lot of an old grocery store in Searcy within the last year. There's all these connections, all these people, but our list of people we can talk to who knew something, it's getting shorter and shorter and shorter. And that's why time is so important right now. Shannon has been digging through police files that she was able to obtain and she's found some possible connections to other missing persons and murder cases. There is mention of one murder victim named Shane McInturf, who was from Searcy, but murdered in Oklahoma in early November of 1994. An investigator from the Regional Drug Task Force said that an informant was claiming that someone who matched Rob Webb's description was bragging about killing Shane. We heard Jared's friends mention Shane. They had gone to school together and Shane was involved in methamphetamine distribution. Shannon told us more. What's even weirder is there was another guy named Shane McInturf who was murdered in Oklahoma, in Edmond, Oklahoma, I believe. And the cops from Edmond, where Shane McInturf was murdered, contacted the Searcy police and said, hey, we've been told that Brandon Wheeler and Rob Webb might be involved in this murder. And they were told by the police they're part of an undercover investigation, so do not contact them. Do not attempt to make contact. 
And I don't, honestly, I don't think anything happened because the guy that was the head of that task force, the one that was in charge of supposedly that undercover investigation, he was involved in the drug trade. And I can't say his name because I don't want to get somebody in trouble because he's still in Cersei, but he definitely was involved in it. And so the fact when I saw his name come up on this report, I was like, oh, well, there's the answer. Every other police officer that was contacted or investigated in some small way is listed in this investigator report note, except for that investigator in Edmond, Oklahoma. It's just listed as an investigator. I'm thinking you've got a double murder, a recent double murder that is connected to these guys. It was enough of a lead that that guy, that detective in Oklahoma thought it was worth making the call. And you tell them, don't follow up. So there's so much to this. Shane McInturf and his girlfriend, Carrie Sloniker, were brutally murdered in their apartment back in November of 94. Despite the informant claiming that someone matching Robert Webb's description was bragging about this murder and also Jared, someone else was convicted of this crime, a next-door neighbor named Eugene Dodd. According to a 1996 article in The Oklahoman, the case was based completely on circumstantial evidence. The alleged motive was that the killer had written checks to Shane for drugs and didn't want his wife to find out. The prosecution presented a witness who claimed that Dodd admitted to the murder while incarcerated. But this witness was labeled a jailhouse snitch because he had also testified for the prosecution in three other death penalty cases. Dodd was convicted and received two death sentences, but his death sentence was later thrown out. There are other cases that Shannon suspects could be connected, like Douglas Jean Kirk, who disappeared from White County less than a year after Jared, and he also had ties to the drug world in the area, and another man from Searcy, William Ernest Green Jr., known to most by his nickname Pee-wee. He disappeared in 2003, and his skull was found years later. We have no way of knowing if there are any connections between these cases, besides their links to the drug world. But Shannon's hoping to connect with the other families in these cases so that they can work together. Jared's father passed away many years ago now. But reading from the police records that we were able to obtain, we can see that he was the driving force behind the search for Jared from the start. Shannon told us that she recently uncovered the notes that she and her father made back then in a special folder, a folder that she thought was lost long ago. There was a red file folder that my dad and I put together when Jared went missing of like all the receipts that were in his car, phone records that we had for his cell phone at the time. It was a bag phone and we didn't have it. And we thought that, um, you know, we had given it to the police because we were like, we're trying to track this down. And my dad and I had made a timeline talking to everybody that we could think of, getting phone numbers, finding out information as much as we could to try to track him down. And I had asked do you know where that file is? And they were like, we didn't see anything like that in the, in the case file. Forever, we thought that that was gone. Like that had just been, somebody had deliberately gotten rid of it. But I guess when my parents left Cersei, because they moved to Ohio, um, when they left Cersei, I guess before we left, my, I guess my dad went up to the police station and got it. But we didn't, like my mom and I, I guess, when they moved back to Arkansas, didn't, didn't realize that, that, that we had it. And we found it. And so I've been going through it and I've got 
all the notes that my dad took of the people that he talked to. And like, you know, we've been comparing those notes with what the police have to make sure we've got the names. I've got that cell phone bill with numbers on it that are connected to people. Lots of connections are being revealed through these, like the numbers that Jared called because back in the day, you know, they, they only recorded incoming. They just said incoming on the phone bill. They didn't show who was, who actually dialed in, but they showed who he dialed. And so we have, you know, connections to people that have come forward with information or people that are connected. And so it's really interesting to see that there's so many things we could spin on so many of these avenues of like, what didn't get done by the police, who was involved why they didn't talk to to Brandon and him and Rob at the time, why this or that wasn't done. And this person said that because there's just so many things we can spin on. But we need to focus on Jared and the facts that we know. And that's where we have to start from. And so that's what we've been trying to do is just go back to that, like the, the first earliest reported information we have so that we can start from there and try to sweep away any of the other superfluous information that is keeping us from seeing where he is. Today, Shannon is looking to connect with the people who were close to Jared when he disappeared, and also those close to the other players in this story. Many of Jared's friends have stayed in touch, like Bo and Greg, but others have not, including the friend that Jared went to see the night that he disappeared to get his gun from. Shannon told us that this friend was named Jason, And she read to us what her father's notes say about him. Jason Hurst called Jared. At 8.10, Jared leaves the house. 8.30, according to Jason Hurst, who is also somebody that we would like to talk to, Jason claimed that Jared met with him, was going to meet him at the country club to discuss a $600 loan that Jared had gotten from him. And Jared leaves his wallet as security, takes the Smith revolver to offer as a peace offering tells Jason he is going to North Little Rock to get money from Brandon Wheeler. Jared got that gun supposedly from Jason Hurst. It belonged to my dad. That he, I guess he had given to Jason right, for that debt, a supposed $600 debt that Jason came and collected from my parents not days after Jared went missing. We also find that very suspicious. So why would Jason, why would he, because he came to my parents' house at night telling us, here's Jared's wallet you know, a few days after Jared disappeared and here he owed money. And so my parents are like, well, okay, we'll pay you the $600 because we're, we're sorry. You know what I mean? Like the, the, the sheer audacity of somebody to do that at that time, you know, at the time I was thinking, what is happening, right? Cause you, your brain isn't thinking right when all this stuff is going on, you don't know what to do. And you feel there was an actual physical pressure on my heart and on my brain during those first few months that Jared was gone because you just, we couldn't make sense of it. it. It was like, what is, I don't understand what's happening. And, you know, when that guy came over, I remember thinking, what, what is going on here? Anyway, so he had, you know, supposedly Jared, he had that gun and he gave it back to Jared, but that gun showed up in Oregon. Shannon has turned to social media to push for answers for her brother. She started a Facebook group called Justice for Jared. She's already gotten new tips and leads coming in and handed them over to the police. She wants the public and those out there who may know something to realize that she's not going to stop. She's never going to give up. We just want Jared back. 
and we want his remains. And I'm not going to stop looking. I'm never going to stop. And I keep saying that on my Facebook page because I want people to understand they are done being comfortable. They've had 28 years of comfort and Jared has not. And he deserves, he deserves it. He deserves to have a burial. We deserve to be able to say goodbye to him and give him what he deserved. He was a 20-year-old kid. Whatever he was involved in, he was 20 years old. And I, I ask everybody to think, what were, what were you like at 20? How smart were you? That's the point of trying to get any investigation going again for Jared is to bring, bring him home. For my mom, for my, my other brother, Kendall, for myself, for Jared himself, we want him home. All the other stuff just gets in the way of that. All this other corruption and the mess and the lies that people tell and the people that remain silent and don't speak up because they're afraid or they don't, they're, uh, you know, they are afraid of being uncomfortable or it might risk something that they have. Well, too bad is what I say to them. Come forward because you will never have peace because I will never stop. I will never stop making waves. I will never stop. The more people are looking at it, the better, because then someone is going to come forward. And that's even from my little Facebook page that I expected, you know, a handful of people to actually pay attention to. We've been able to be on the local news. We do have four new locations. We just need a little bit more information to help us put a picture together and to give us a location because we've got, we've got those four potential sites. Shannon can't tell the public everything she knows about these four search sites, but she told us what she could about one of these areas they're hoping to search in the near future. There was a, a guy who was the cook, the mess cook, and he had out close to the Stafford land, I believe. Um, he had some property out there and that was also a a location where he might, you know, Jared might be just because they, they hung out like all the people that were in the, like when they were out there partying or whatever, they go out on that land. The people that actually own it now contacted me. They follow the case on the Facebook page and they found a tooth. This is years ago, of course, a tooth and a gold cross with diamonds in it. Didn't report it to the police. And I think at some point they did talk to them back in the like 2016 timeframe, did talk to them, did want to bring the cadaver dogs on their land, but because they had more evidence really pointing towards the Stafford property that they decided, you know, they, they had limited resources. So they said, let's go out here and search instead of there. But the fact that they found this tooth and they found this gold cross out there could have been anything, but the tooth, of course, they don't have anymore. They still have the, the necklace and that could be rock. Jared didn't wear anything like that. Jared was actually wearing, I believe he had on a, a gold necklace that had a Tasmanian devil charm on it that Shannon had given him, you know, because he had a tattoo of the Tasmanian devil on his shoulder. And, and we called him, you know, he was because of his hyperness. We called him like the ta- Taz was one of his nicknames because he was so, you know, uh, kind of like the Tasmanian devil, always, always in a whirlwind. Anyway, so he was wearing, he may have been wearing that charm. It's been 28 long years for everyone who knew and loved Jared. Despite the disappointment they felt when the charges against Brandon were dropped, they remain confident that they are closer today than ever before. Jared's girlfriend Shannon was devastated by his loss and the loss of the dreams they shared for their future together. Shannon told us that she has struggled for a really long time. 
once he went missing, I completely lost myself. And it seems like years of my life, but it literally was from October, November until like February of the next year, you know, and it literally seems like I lived years worth of life in just those few months. It definitely changed my life. Definitely. I mean, it went into like this depression, but my mother did not understand, you know, the gravity of what had happened to me. I think she thought, you know, well, you know, she's, she's only, you know, 18. She doesn't know what love is. She doesn't, you know, she kind of just felt like, you know, well, you know, he's gone, get over it. Basically. I didn't really have anyone that understood, you know, what I was going through. And I felt very alone. I mean, I knew that Shannon and Sharon, you know, were going through the same thing worse because it was their brother and, you know, and Sharon's son. But, and I did, I know I was in contact with them, but as far as someone, I don't know, no one in my family really understood how it affected, you know, my life. It was such a horrible, horrible time in my life. That was my lowest point, actually. But I have, you know, wonderful, wonderful memories of Jared. I slept with his pillow until it disintegrated. I had his pillow <laughs> and, you know, I slept with it until my husband, I mean, he's been extremely supportive. I mean, I've had dreams. I never stopped having dreams. And my husband's been very, very supportive. You know, he knows. He just listened to me. <laughs> I don't know how many times with just what happened. There's no closure. You can't say, okay, well, you lose your family members and, and your loved ones and you think, okay, well, they were sick or they died in a car crash or you lost them this way. You, know, you, don't, you don't get that. Everyone always says that losing a child is the worst thing. And Sharon has struggled too. She wanted to fall to pieces, but knew that she also had two other children she needed to remain strong for. Sharon hopes that someone listening who knows something will hear her grief and feel compelled to come forward. Very, very, very hard to keep going. And you have to do that. I can hardly stand to look at their, you know, his pictures because you think about the life, you know, he could have had. It's always hard to lose a child no matter how. But to lose them uh, through a, a senseless murder, to think they just tossed him away, it takes time. You know, you just have to sort of take one day at a time and get through that day. And then another day will come and you get through that day. It is going to be the hardest thing. And fortunately, I had two other kids to live for. I was really grateful for that because I had to go on. I had a 14 year old and I had my daughter. It's been such a wonderful daughter. And my husband was a very strong man, much stronger than me. It takes its toll on you, health-wise, the stress of it all. Uh, I could never dwell on it. I never could talk about it without getting upset. I feel that what my son is missing out on, going to college, getting married, having children, just having a normal life, such a waste, such a senseless waste of life. Only finding out what's happened to him would be a great relief. But it's never going to take away the pain. But you do get where you can cope with the pain. There's never a single day in your life that you don't think about yourself or your loved one, whoever it might be. In my case, it's my son. You can hear the strength in Jared's sister's voice when she speaks. 
She's the driving force behind the search efforts today. Despite her strength on the surface, it's still been a struggle for her too, and she didn't always have the strength to push for answers like she does today. Some people act like the memory is not fresh. Like for my mom, it's fresh every day. There's a very clear, at least for me, there's a very clear like disconnection that you have to make in your brain to be able to go forward. Because if you let yourself live in that world, and I did for five years after Jared disappeared, I was in a very dark place because I couldn't, I couldn't get out of that world. You know, like my, in my mind, I couldn't get past the grief and the pain and the anger. And um, you know, it took five years of therapy for me to, to come through that and come to be able to talk about it without just collapsing under the weight of it every day. And that's one of the reasons why I waited so long to do anything on social media, because I was like, I don't have the strength, don't have the strength to talk about it every day, to keep it there and try to relive it and try to remember the things that I have worked really hard to, if not, not to dwell on every day, but not to have it so that they wake me up at night because of the nightmares. You know, nobody talks about that kind of stuff. Like it's the people focus on the grief, but it's Grief manifests itself in so many ways. And for me, it was horrible nightmares about Jared, about always being one day away from, you know, where he just was or being an hour from missing him or seeing him at a distance and calling out and not being able to talk to him. You know, those are the things that that you live with and you, you risk stirring up every single time you talk about it. And what I've come to understand over the years is that you know, you just, you have to compartmentalize that. You have to say, I have to function in the world. I have to make a living. I need health insurance. I need to pay for my dog to have food. You know, you have to continue living because, you know, you're still alive. And so for those folks that are going through this and they are in that place, there's no shame in that, right? There's no shame in having to make that decision to, to continue to live because you cannot fight for somebody that was taken from you if you aren't, if you're not around to do it, if you don't have the strength. I did spend too many years just accepting that we weren't going to get any answers. And I'm not doing that anymore. I'm not going to do it for Jared. And I'm not going to do it for my family because he deserves it. He deserved to be brought home. Jared's disappearance and the investigation that followed has been like a roller coaster for his family. It once seemed like they were so close to justice, but in the end, that didn't work out. Jared's story is a complicated one with a lot of different characters connected to the case. It has seemed from the very beginning that everything pointed to Brandon and Rob, but the circumstantial evidence they had wasn't enough. And there were other aspects of this case that could be seen as reasonable doubt in a no-body murder case, like Jared mentioning faking his own death, as Shannon mentioned earlier. This is a case with an overwhelming amount of information, but yet not enough. What Jared's loved ones are seeking today is any information that could lead them to finding Jared, or any other information that could help with the investigation. If you would like to get involved, please join Shannon's group, Justice for Jared, on Facebook. If you have any information regarding Jared Green's disappearance, please call the Searcy Police Department at 501-268-3531. I mean, what I'm hoping this does is that somehow somebody comes forward and we find him. Like, that's my goal, that we find Jared. It's a 
she's been working on this and getting it out there. It's really starting to uh, spread throughout the community. A lot more people are talking. So something's going to come up. It's just uh, a lot of the key people have since died. You don't die because you have lost. You don't. You want to. You want to real hard. You want to die a lot. And you can't because, you know, you just keep on breathing. And so you have to, you just have to get through it however you can. So I feel no, I, I hope for all those people that still have hope that they find their person, that they find their loved one. Um, and that that hope keeps them going because whatever, whatever it takes is, is, you know, that's what they have to do. That brings us to the end of episode 370. I'd like to thank everyone who spoke with us for this story. If you have a missing loved one that you'd like to have featured on the show, there's a case submission form at thevanishedpodcast.com. If you'd like to join in on the discussion, there's a page and discussion group on Facebook. I'm on Twitter at The Vanished Pod and also on Instagram. If you like our show, please give us a five-star rating and review. Follow The Vanished on Amazon Music or wherever you get your podcasts. Or you can listen ad-free by joining Wondery Plus on Apple Podcasts or the Wondery app. Please support us by supporting our sponsors. By supporting them, you help us offer the show for free. Another way you can support the show is by filling out a survey at wondery.com survey. You can also support the show by contributing on Patreon, where you can get early and ad-free episodes. Be sure to tune in next week. We'll be covering a case from Texas. Thanks for listening. Hey, it's Guy Raz here, the host of How I Built This, a podcast that gives you a front row seat to how some of the biggest products were built and the innovators, entrepreneurs, and idealists behind them. Every week, I speak to someone new, stories like Justin Wolverton's, a lawyer who just wanted a healthy alternative to ice cream, so he created Halo Top in his Cuisinart. Or Todd Graves, who grew his fried chicken restaurant Raising Cane's into one of the most successful fast food chains in the U.S. All of these great conversations can help you learn how to think big, take risks, and navigate crises in life and work from people who've done all of that and more. Follow How I Built This on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to How I Built This early and ad-free right now on Wondery Plus. Welcome to Pura, the most pristine, safe, climate-stable city on Earth. A haven amidst the wreckage. Here, you're safe from heat domes, superstorms, water bandits in the outer lands. There's no crime in Pura. No murder, no suicide. And best of all, there's no cost to join us. In Pura, 
He promised to keep you safe. I killed her! You took everything! In a world that doesn't feel so safe anymore, we're waiting for you. Here, in Pure. The Last City is a new scripted audio drop from Wondery. Enjoy The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City right now, ad-free, on Wondery Plus. Get started with your free trial at wondery.com slash plus.